Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. This week is one of those weeks in which Both lungs of the church, east and west, celebrate, observe the same feast, the same event, which is not only an historical event of significance, but especially one of theological and spiritual significance. And that, of course, is the feast of the finding and the exaltation of the cross. On this particular day, we are in the what's called the post-festive period of the cross. It has seven days of post-festive time which means that we carry on the celebration observance of the significance of this feast for several days. In this case, it's seven days, and it has one day of pre-feast or pre-festive. So it's a very significant feast day. And during the liturgy, the liturgical services in the Byzantine church, one of the things we do, which is very, very striking, is we have a cross that is richly decorated in a kind of a wreath shape with flowers. The cross sits in the midst of that. And during particularly the matin service, although it can be done at liturgy, the matin service has a a section where the priest takes this cross, richly decorated in a wreath, incenses it, and takes it around the altar, out the doors, the icon screen, which separates the sanctuary from the nave, and he places it on the tetrapod. And then he goes around to each corner, and he says a litany. And during the litany, what happens is the people respond with repetitive Lord have mercies. And as they do that, he raises the cross up, then he bows very low with it, and then raises back up slowly. And he does that four times for each corner of what's called the tetrapod, means four legs, or just just a four-sided table that is in the middle of the church, towards the front of the church, in many, but not all, Eastern Catholic churches. It is particularly custom in what we call the Byzantine Catholic churches. And during that service, the litanies that the priest said are these, and again, from each corner of the tetrapod. Have mercy on us, O God, according to great mercy, we pray you here and have mercy. And as I mentioned, the people will sing, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Then he goes to the next side of the table. We also pray for Holy Father Francis, 
Pope of Rome, that the Lord God would grant him health and salvation, ever directing him and assisting him in all he does. We pray, O Lord, hear us and have mercy. And again, the Lord have mercies, Lord have mercies. In some churches, they do 24 Lord have mercies after each litany. In others, such as the Russian churches, they do 100, and they do it at a very, very fast pace. They sort of decrescendo and crescendo. It's very, very moving. It's a very, very beautiful ritual. And as he goes around doing these litanies, the priest holding that cross up that's richly decorated is doing something that's a little bit different than on the third Sunday of Lent in the Byzantine church where we have the veneration of the cross. This particular celebration of the cross is one that is very, very triumphant. Well, there's always a triumphant dimension to the spirituality of the cross, especially in the Eastern churches. But in this particular day, it's very triumphant. In fact, there's a great story about this feast day, and I'm going to read some information about it from a great book that we use from time to time here. It's one of our books in our Light of the East Library. It's by Father Bejo Sheregi, who I had the privilege of knowing when I was young. It's called The Liturgical Year of the Byzantine Slavonic Rite, and this is put out by the Byzantine Seminary Press. It's a very handy book about the liturgical calendar of the Byzantine Church. And for the Feast of this Exaltation of the Cross, as we call in the Byzantine Church, Father Sheregi writes this. He said, On this day, the Church celebrates the finding of the cross upon which our Lord died, In the year 326, the mother of the emperor Constantine, St. Helena, then about 80 years old and having received some private revelations, journeyed to Jerusalem with the intention of discovering the Savior's tomb and his cross. Excavations were started under the direction of the Bishop of Jerusalem, Macarius, later honored as a saint. It was said that Jews had hidden the cross in a well or a ditch and covered it over so that Christians might not find it and venerate it. Only few Jews knew the place of its burial. One of them, Judas by name, was moved by divine inspiration to inform the excavators of the spot. He later became a Christian and is honored as St. Syriacus. On the site indicated, three crosses were found. These were carried, one after the other, to the bedside of a worthy woman who was at the point of death. The touch of two crosses was of no avail. But upon the touch of that on which Christ had died, the woman suddenly recovered. After this happy discovery, St. Helena and St. Constantine erected a magnificent basilica over this holy sepulcher, which had been found close by. And by the way, I have been there. Maybe some of you have been to that spot. It's interesting how the place where Christ was crucified, you know, Mount Calvary, and the place where he was buried are actually basically under one roof of this holy sepulcher basilica. They're not that far away. And you figure they probably... Wouldn't have been anyway because they had to carry his body by hand to bury it. So it could have been too far away. Okay, so Father Shadigan continues. This basilica was solemnly blessed September 13, 1335. And on the following day, the cross of our Lord was triumphantly carried into the new building where Bishop Macarius himself raised it into public view. The people made prostrations before it and sang again and again, Kyrie son which is, Lord have mercy. Of course, that's what we do to this very day in Byzantine churches, as I mentioned earlier. Now, St. Helena divided the cross into three parts, enclosing each part in a silver reliquary, sending one part to Rome, one to Constantinople, and keeping the third part in Jerusalem. Now, on September 14th, the church celebrates not only the exaltation of the cross, but also its second finding. In 614 AD, the king of the Persians captured Jerusalem seized the cross, and carried it off to Persia. 
This incident took place when Phocus was emperor of Byzantium. His successor, Heraclius, defeated the Persian emperor on several occasions, and in 628 AD, the unfortunate king was assassinated by his own son, who then returned the cross to Heraclius. The priceless relic was first carried in triumph to Constantinople, then in the spring of the following year, back to Jerusalem. So that's a little bit of the historical background of the finding and the original exaltation of the cross. Now, what's also significant is not so much the historical finding of the cross. And as always, whenever we go back into time and we celebrate, observe these events, we don't always know how much was embellished or, in a sense, legendary, how much is true. It doesn't matter because the event, the message itself is true. But more importantly, the theological significance of it is what is most important. And this is where we go into the liturgy, into the celebration in the liturgical life of the church, which brings out the meaning of this event, why it's important, not just that it was found, but why it is important. In one of the prayers we say for the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, we say this, joy to you, precious cross of the Lord, guide to the blind and physician to the sick and resurrection to the dead. You raised us out of corruption and removed the curse Through you, we have been made divine, and the power of Hades has been destroyed in full. Therefore, seeing you today lifted up by our priests, we exalt Christ who was suspended on you, and we bow deeply before you, seeking forgiveness and great mercy. Now, that one particular line in this prayer, through you we have been made divine, is particularly significant. And in other prayers, it will refer to our being lifted up with Christ, In other words, Christ's death on the cross was also our exaltation. Remember, everything that happens to Christ is happening to us. It's not just a history lesson. It's not just, well, Christ suffered and died. We suffer and die with him. We share in his baptism. We share in his suffering. We share in his crucifixion. We share in his resurrection. We will share in his, ultimately, in his ascension because our bodies will be reunited with our souls in the end of time after the last judgment, spiritualized, glorified for those, of course, who have made it to eternal life. And all that is seen and experienced in Christ. So this is why Christ is the new Adam, the new human, he is the sum total of all the human experience. He took on himself the worst of human experience. He did not sin, but he took on our sins. And he takes us through the most glorious aspects of being human. In other words, what God's original tension was when he created us and his ultimate destiny for us. So this experience of the exaltation of the cross and Christ being on the cross and the triumph of that is our triumph. And that's why we go to church That's why we enter into the liturgy, because we enter into that reality, which means that we are entering ourselves into that. This is good for us. It's transformative for us. It puts our focus into what it's really all about, our faith, God's plan for us, our being human, our destiny. And this is the beauty and the power of the liturgical life of the church, why it's all the more reason to take part in the services and the prayers of the church, especially on holy days. Don't, don't take them for granted. Don't just kind of put them aside as thinking, well, it's not a Sunday obligation. They're, they are there for a reason. It's good for us to bring us deep into these mysteries. When we return, we're going to talk more about the significance of the event and feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. It was Hurricane Harvey devastating the people of Texas who are now trying to rebuild their lives. Then Florida was hit with Hurricane Irma leaving destruction in its wake. The people of these states will need our help for many months or even years to come. How can you help? The first thing to do is to pray for our brothers and sisters who have suffered during these storms. Then. Make a donation to Catholic Charities USA Hurricane Relief, where 100% of your donations will go to help with the needs of life, health care, and to rebuild their communities. Visit catholiccharities.org. That's catholiccharities.org, where you can donate online, by phone, or text. Thank you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. Time is starting to get close now to a very special pilgrimage and retreat that I have been asked to be spiritual director for. You've heard me talk about it here in Light of the East, and I will continue to do so to encourage you to come. It's vital because we're going to travel to Fatima. We're going to make a pilgrimage there and pray in accordance with the wishes of our Most Holy Lady. Her wishes back in 1917, and even today, her wishes are repentance, reparation, prayer for peace, personal conversion. It's just as timely now as it was in 1917. So we're going to go October 26th through November 2nd, which is a Thursday to Thursday, eight days. We're going to visit especially the Byzantine Chapel. That's right. It's going to be a real experience of the church breathing with both lungs, east and west. To find out more information, to register for the trip, you can find out all the places we're going to see in addition to Phantom itself, write to this email, 
Horizons at Parma.org. Horizons at Parma.org. And the subject line, put the name Laura, L-A-U-R-A. So Horizons at Parma.org, subject line, Laura. This is for the pilgrimage and retreat trip to Fatima, October 26th, November 2nd of this year, Thursday to Thursday. In the liturgical text for this Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross, there's a verse that's interesting because there's a modern day, and by modern I mean not just today, but modern times writer and thinker, a great one, who I came across in my reading of his works, and I couldn't help seeing the parallel in what he wrote, a little meditation about the cross, in one of his books called Orthodoxy. And that gave you a hint of who this author is. His name is G.K. Chesterton. And I couldn't help seeing the remarkable parallel between a point that he made and the ancient liturgical text for this Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross. Here's one of those texts. Oh, what a strange mystery. The length and breadth of the cross is equal to the heavens, for it sanctifies the whole world by divine grace. By the cross, savage nations are vanquished. By the cross, the authority of kings is confirmed. O divine ladder, we go up to heaven to, and with our hymns, exalt Christ the Lord. Now this line in particular, the length and breadth of the cross is equal to the heavens, for it sanctifies the whole world by divine grace. That's the one that really struck me, because listen to what G.K. Chesterton says in his book, Orthodoxy. As we have taken the circle as a symbol of reason and madness, we very well may take the cross as a symbol at once of mystery and of health. Buddhism is centripetal, but Christianity is centrifugal. It breaks out. For the circle is perfect and infinite in its nature, but it is fixed forever in its size. It never can be larger or smaller. But the cross, though it has at its heart a collision and a contradiction, can extend its forearms forever without altering its shape. Because it has a paradox in its center, it can grow without changing. The circle returns upon itself and is bound. The cross opens its arms to the four winds. It is a signpost for free travelers. Isn't it interesting that Chesterton came across a very similar meditation as we have in the ancient text for this Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross? He uses the word paradox, and paradox really refers to the nature of mystery, which is very big in the Eastern churches and very big for this feast day as well. It's the convergent point of two seemingly complementary things. And as Chesterton will say in his book, Orthodoxy, it is this paradox that is so much a part of life. This mystery is what keeps us sane. He says the cross can reach out because it has a paradox in it. And so too do we use paradox, a both and kind of spirituality, when we celebrate these feasts. The cross is at one time a symbol of what is bad, what is painful, death, what is awful. At the very same time, not at different times, but at the same time, in the same breath, it is triumph and glory and joy. That's why we put up in front of ourselves. We brandish it about. It's like a banner like when soldiers go into war, somebody wins the Olympics and they run around the track and they're waving the flag of their nation. So we literally brandish this thing that was once the most awful of symbols. It still carries that echo of its original awful self. At the same time, it takes on this other significance. And we don't lose the two because that would really ruin its meaning. You have to have that echo 
of the torture, the suffering, the shame, the death, the pain. You have to have that in order to highlight, to magnify the compliment. And that is the victory over that, that precisely through that pain and shame and death, precisely through that comes victory. So we have to speak of it in one breath, as we do. In fact, we say, we bow to your cross, O Lord, and we praise your holy resurrection. See how we do that? Two complementary concepts said in one breath, in one text. Now, why is all this significant? Why is the cross significant? Today, in our day and age, I think it is most significant, most critical to revisit and immerse ourselves in the spirituality of the cross. Because the difference between a church that is not thriving, a church that is having difficulties and confusions, lack of vocations, and a church that is very much alive, teeming with vocations, you know what the difference is? The cross. And I can tell you this from firsthand experience because as a Byzantine Catholic, my particular church comes from the area of Central Europe, which endured a tremendous cross at the hands of atheist communism. And that church over there is teeming with vocations. They have more priests they know what to do with. They have monasteries and nuns and monks and youth and many priests. In my own eparchy of Parma here in the United States, for a 12-state region in America where we're free, we were not persecuted in our faith, we have maybe about, I'm not really sure exactly, maybe about 40 priests. In one of our eparchies in Slovakia, for example, our same church in Slovakia, they have, in the eparchy of Preshov, where our new bishop came from, they have over 300 priests. 300 priests. Now, Slovakia is only about the size of maybe the state of Indiana. 300 priests. We have 12 states in our eparchy, maybe about 40 priests, and many of them are even older. So I'm not trying to be despairing of my own church. What I'm trying to do is make a very graphic point here, that where there is the cross, there is also vibrancy and witness and fruitfulness. Where the cross has been in a sense, veiled, or we've even tried to eliminate it, as we have in modern Western society. We want to make everything as comfortable and convenient and palatable as possible because we're afraid otherwise we'll lose people. But actually, we have lost people precisely because we try to soft-pedal or remove the cross. And so we have a scarcity of vocations. We have much difficulty and confusions in the church. We have superficiality. We have apathy and complacency. This is why, one of the many reasons why, the cross is such a vital aspect of our spirituality and of the life of the church. Because the cross, it's not just about a burden. We oftentimes say, well, you have to carry your cross. Well, it's not just about that. Yeah, it's about that. More so what it's about is the cross is the proof text It's the symbol, it's the banner for the proof, the fact that God has the last word on everything, even the worst thing, that he can take what we find to be most undesirable, most awful, and he can turn it into something that is good, something that is life-giving. 
That's the real magic of the cross. Yes, of course, first and foremost, it was through the cross that Christ purchased our salvation for us. But he did so by this contradiction, by contradicting the cross, by putting it into the both and, into the paradox. As Chesterton said, even the very formation of the cross, it's a collision of two bars, one that goes vertical, one that goes horizontal. Never the two shall meet, but they meet and overlap right in the center, right in that center, the center of the cross. When you look at the iconography or images of the cross with the body of Christ on it, you see that right at that intersection is where Christ's heart was, right there in that paradox of verticality, triumph, life, and the horizontal of death, of what is sad and dead. It is little wonder why this feast day that commemorates the finding and the raising up of the original cross of Christ is so significant and comes very early on in the liturgical year in the Byzantine church. The cross is everything. With that, our faith, our church is full of life. Without it, it dies. I want to thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Radio is it's training for the troops. It's a interaural of the ear boot camp. The folks who listen, who grow in their faith, grow in charity, grow in all the virtues, they then go out and exert an influence far beyond just themselves. Catholic Radio has an exponential effect for bringing people deeper into the faith. Dr. Ray Garendi thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!